Welcome back to the OIS Podcast. In this episode, Ewan Thompson, CEO of Zeiss Meditech Incorporated, says digital technologies will move the needle on healthcare with improved connectivity and the ability to use data at scale. Let's listen as he outlines the opportunities. I'm here today talking with Ewan Thompson from Zeiss, and we're very lucky to have him here. We're going to have some really good digital health talk today. So Ewan, why don't you go ahead and uh, do the honors introducing yourself? There's so many titles, uh, I'd rather you do it yourself. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you, Rania, and it's, uh, thanks so much for the uh, invitation to chat today. I'm really looking forward to it. Um, so yes, uh, I'm Ewan Thompson. I am president of ophthalmology and head of the digital business unit um, for, for Meditech. Um, I've been with Zeiss about 18 months. Um, originally, I actually joined to uh, drive the digital business and to uh, sort of create the, um, the digital transformation strategy for, for Meditech. Um, and then I took over um, ophthalmology about um, almost exactly a year ago. So um, yeah, and, and enjoying it very much. Great. Well, you took over right in time for the big surge in the in digital health, right? <laughs> yeah, that's that's certainly true. Uh, which, you know, pluses and minuses there in terms of you know kind of need to adopt digital solutions. It was it was actually a really good sort of convergences of opportunities. But in terms of really getting out and, and meeting customers, it's uh, it's certainly not been not been ideal. Um, but you know, like everybody else, we've uh, we've got through it, and uh, you know, all, all the stronger for it. I think. Definitely. Well, you know, actually, last year we are we saw a big explosion in digital health technologies. Anyway, um, and we thought that maybe that would wane a bit uh, once you know the COVID restrictions were lifted and, and things were starting to get back to normal. But interestingly enough, this quarter has been the most funded quarter for digital health technology. Um, mm -hmm. Can you tell me why you think that is, and uh, what kinds of digital health trends you're looking at? Uh, yes, yeah, absolutely. Um, there's, there's, I think there's two different questions. And um, <laughs> you know, on trends, I, I'm pretty good at the first question because I could kind of talk all day on that one, but I'll, I'll keep it brief. Um, but I think the why is obvious to everybody, certainly driven by telemedicine. I mean, the need to communicate remotely uh, was, was clearly a driver for, um, for adoption, um, you know, when, when people couldn't get together. And, I, you know, when I think about this, it's such a logical thing. It always has been. Um, that it's a shame it's taken so long and it's a shame it took something like COVID to really accelerate adoption the way that it did. Um, and my hope is, of course, that it doesn't wane afterwards, that we don't go back to solely in-person meetings at, at points where in-person meetings aren't necessary. You know, when I think about ophthalmology in particular, of course, there, there's also a need for um, a great deal of, of testing and monitoring and imaging uh, for all aspects of ophthalmology. And, and that's probably meant that tele consults play a relatively minor role in management of patients. Um, so across the board, probably ophthalmology, um, le less adoption and maybe even less of a need going forward in some respects at least, um, compared to other branches of medicine. Um, so, you know, really the teleconsults, I think, rather than the remote testing and remote monitoring and remote management that have got traction so far. I think future trends to me are just really interesting. And um, so, so many different drivers that point in the direction of digital health. It's not surprising that the investment is there. Um, to pull out a couple that are kind of near and dear to me, um, artificial intelligence, firstly, I would say 
um, very, very logical in the field of ophthalmology. And, and it's the interesting thing for AI, I think, is that it's a sort of convergence of technology and politics um, that, that <laughs> drives adoption and success. Um, you know, if you take certain data-rich, data-intensive areas of medicine like radiology, um, there's no doubt that artificial intelligence from a technology standpoint can really offer um, benefits in terms of decision support and, you know, kind of a safety net to, to radiologists to make sure things aren't missed and even guiding towards interpretations where full radiology support is, isn't available. But it runs into somewhat political um, challenges uh, when it comes to adoption because, um, you know, it, it can be seen as a threat. It can be seen as doing the radiolo radiologist's job for them. Um, and I think when you when you look at the state of the of, the, of play today in radiology, great technical advancements and some really great tools available. But in terms of real practical adoption and making a, a transformational change to the business, it really hasn't happened. And I, and I think this is one one of the reasons, at least, is this this sort of you know complexity with figuring out how to positioning it without positioning it as a threat to core services, core businesses, core expertise, and the and the human factor. In ophthalmology, um, you know, we, we use a lot of images in this space. You, know, you use a lot of images as, in this space as an ophthalmologist. And um, therefore, there is a role for AI. Um, but interestingly, I think it's less challenging a role from a political and procedural standpoint because, you know, the, the, the business of ophthalmology is not interpreting images, but it's necessary to interpret images to do the business of ophthalmology. So there's... Really I well think said. much less of a much less of a kind of a barrier to entry, I think. And then finally, and I'll keep it brief on this, I, I would say what interests me personally is really um, the the influence of IoT, which is really all to come. Um, and I think this is something I worked on when I was at Samsung, and it's something that I feel quite passionate about, particularly when we think about chronic diseases, you know, not just in ophthalmology, but across the board. Um, but it's certainly relevant to ophthalmology, things like diabetic retinopathy and even myopia and so on. Um, there's, there's, there's a sort of holistic management of the patient that IoT enables, at least theoretically. Yes. You know, this idea that we tend to focus on the medical aspects of a disease process and we manage those medical aspects medically. Um, but we, we don't really have the tools and the availability of more holistic systems to monitor the lifestyle of the patient and yet we all know how important lifestyle is to chronic disease yep. so cl clearly in diabetes I mean clearly in diabetic retinopathy but also in in sort of myopia for example where we know such things as diet and you know outdoor activity and exercise and sleep and lifestyle and so on makes a difference but we haven't really yet found a seamless way to incorporate wellness devices or the connected home, you know, to monitor and to help guide people with those lifestyle changes. So I, I think personally, you know, we, we're just really scratched the surface in the impact of IoT on healthcare. Um, and uh, I'm just really excited by all the possibilities.
Yeah, you know, I, I can't agree with you more. And I'm actually very passionate about IoT as well. And for those who don't know what that is, that's the Internet of Things. And that means, you know, when there is an alert that goes out from a device, for instance. Um, I want to go back to something you said earlier about how ophthalmology may be, you know, one of the lower adopters for telehealth and some of these remote home monitoring and IoT devices. You know, I, I would challenge you to think twice about that because, you know, mm -hmm. you would think that there's a, a, not a lot that we can do remotely, but Actually, it's turning out that we are so device dependent that we, we do have a lot of opportunity for digital health in ophthalmology. And one of those things um, that's a testament to that is IoT and the rise of these remote home monitoring tools. So not just for things like myopia or diabetes, but glaucoma now, which, which was basically the, the slowest adopter um, to telehealth now has this whole host of remote monitoring um, tools. And it's exactly like what you said, you know, patients are consumers these days. And with right. some of the new CMS guidelines, which, um, you know, allow patients to have full access to their medical records, um, you know, aside from them calling us every five minutes to ask exactly what nuclear sclerosis is, <laughs> Um, you know, they, they want all their digital information. They want to have that information. And just like they're wearing Apple watches that allow them to monitor everything, they also want devices to monitor their glaucoma or their macular degeneration or their diabetes, for instance. And um, I think that's a, a very big um, play for the digital health space and specifically actually for Zeiss. No, I 100% I agree. And I, I probably said it wrongly. What, what I meant was um, in terms of ophthalmology, um, I was talking about the teleconsult versus, you know, sort of more of a full spectrum approach to telemedicine and, and the role of a teleconsult. In other words, you know, what you can achieve by using Zoom to, to talk to a patient, for example, um, is not as much as in some areas of medicine. Um, right. The role of telemedicine and the role of telehealth, I completely agree. I mean, okay. remote monitoring <laughs> of patients, um, you know, sort of um, and hopefully in the future, more and more reliance on remote testing and in home devices and in pharmacy devices um, to screen and to, and to test and to manage patient. hundred um, percent agree. I mean, I think there's huge prospects for that. And it is it is a very strong area of investment for us. You know, yeah. we, we see yeah. it, we see it as the future and, um, you know, both from a device standpoint and also what we're doing from a platform standpoint, you know, right. enabling connectivity. Um, and enabling the connection and the management of data remotely to you know, to, to really um, drive those applications of, you know, sort of remote management and remote screening, remote diagnostic diagnostics for patient. Um, it's, it's a big area for us, a big investment. Well, that's the other thing, actually, you, uh, it's almost like you saw my questions in advance or something, but that's <laughs> the, the next thing I was going to ask you, I mean, is that where the Microsoft Zeiss relationship comes in? Is it about that secure platform? Yes, it really is. You know, when I think about our um, areas of expertise um, and what's necessary to build that type of environment where you've got, you know, connectivity and secure management of data, um, you know, we, we have experts in those for sure. You know, we have people who are um, very strong engineers in a cloud environment and we have people who are experts on, on data security. But if we really want to build those types of solutions globally at scale, um, this is where a company like Microsoft can really be a huge support to us, and, and they're proving to be that. Um, so, I mean, security, you mentioned it, is, is a great example. Um, again, you know, sort of uh, different requirements of security in different parts of the world, um, some common elements, um, but um, uh, it's a constantly changing environment. So to rely on a, 
any medical company, I would say, to be up to date with the latest threats that there are to secure management of data. That's a really tough ask. It is, um, yeah. It's a, yeah, it's a big yeah. animal to swallow, you know. So why not right. let a pro like Microsoft sort of handle that part of things for you? So Exactly. And that's, and that's well said. That's really what's exactly behind the partnership, yes. Yeah, that's great. Um, and then, you know, the other nice thing that uh, I'm familiar with the, the Microsoft structure through Azure as well, you know, we... Right. We do it at, at Baskin Palmer. And one of the things that we do is um, upload photos, um, you know, from our machine, our Zeiss machines, you know, right onto right. Azure. And then those can um, actually reside, de-identified, et cetera, um, and be shared across institutions. And so the way that everything is set up, it's kind of like this central backbone that's secure that can be basically plugged into. And I think that that's actually really important when, when we're talking about Zeiss and collaboration with other institutions or other industry partners. Yeah, no, again, I, com I completely agree. And, um, you know, if you, if you think about the benefits of moving into a cloud environment, I think at a, at a local level, when I look at a, a product like Forum that we've been making for many years now and, and successfully helped customers to manage their data locally and to manage the workflow um, in a local environment. I mean, those things have been incredibly helpful um, and, um, you know, it's still a major investment for us. We will continue to support that and, and continue to grow it. But when we think in the future about a cloud environment, um, there are all sorts of advantages. Some of them are practical and some of them are really far reaching from a, a sort of a, a vision standpoint. Um, that the practical elements are by, by us building an infrastructure, as we just described, that's secure and accessible. Um, we can help with lowering infrastructure costs locally. We can help with making data accessible, supporting different types of workflow that are more convenient for customers. Um, those are sort of the practical elements. But this strategic vision idea that you're talking about, I think, is, is massive. I mean, it enables, with all the data in one place, it enables data to be shared appropriately by other practitioners, by collaborators, um, by the patients themselves. Right. Um, and, um, you know, d data at scale contains insights that you just can't generate from, you know, local data. Um, so that, that's the part, again, as, a, as a, I guess, as a scientist that really excites me. <laughs> There's the, the insights that can be gathered using, you know, new types of machine learning techniques to, uh, to really learn about patient care as a result of the cloud infrastructure. Yeah, that's exactly right. I mean, that's, that's where I was headed with that, you know, mm -hmm. actually. So that, that um, only strengthens and makes these algorithms that we're using for AI and, and ML a lot more robust. And it gives us much more geographic um, and socioeconomic diversity as well when it can be from several different places. So No, that's, that's absolutely right. I mean, you know, sort of it, it, geography no longer matters when it comes to collaboration. Right, exactly. You know, particularly if you can create sort of anonymized data. I mean, there are certainly... The, you know, hoops you have to jump through when you think about collaborating <laughs> across international boundaries, but they are all, um, you know, sort of, they're overcomable, if you like, we, we can get over those and we exactly. can solve those problems. So it's, a, it's just a massive opportunity to drive you know, new innovations in patient care. Well, I, I'm very impressed with the um, sort of the direction that Zeiss is taking um, by approaching this from more of a platform standpoint um, and a clinical workflow standpoint. So Forum is a perfect example of that. I mean, it just sounds like such a no brainer now to think that you can see all the machines and all the you know results from those machines all in one sort of database and then, um, you know, uh, use them in a clinical sense um, that way. So. 
I'm just so surprised that this hasn't come about before, um, but I think you guys are one of the leaders in even just thinking this way. So can you talk a little yeah. bit about that part? Yeah, I, li I like to think we are, and thank you for saying <laughs> that. I appreciate it. Um, you know, I'd say what's really driving us is, is bigger than even just digital, more profound than, than just digital. What's really driving us is this, you know, this, this need that we feel to provide more of a solution type approach to supporting our customers. Um, and you know, digital to me, even though I have, you know, sort of, I come from a digital background, it's it's the enabler to a solution mindset. It's not an answer in itself. Um, and so, and, and this came to a head, I think, you know, during during COVID. You know, when everything went shut, when everything shut down, um, we we spent a lot of time talking to customers about the types of solution they would need in order to reopen in a new normal type of environment. And it led us in all sorts of directions. Some of them were were simple hardware directions. You know, we provided free breast shields to hundreds of thousands of customers just to enable ex examinations to take place. Um, and, um, you know, we, we came up with solutions involving, you know, longer cables, for example, just to enable people <laughs> to offer locally, but more remotely. Um, but that was really what was driving us along in that point. Was, it wasn't a commercial endpoint. It was this solution mindset. Yeah. And when I think about digital, I mean, you've, you've said it, you've mentioned it. I mean, it really is the, um, you know, the, the ability to, to connect from anywhere and, um, you know, sort of operate in a different way to streamline your workflow. And then ultimately with the big picture that we just discussed, you know, when you do have data at scale and you can figure out new insights from that data, we start to improve patient care in, in, you know, some really big ways. So it's, it's this solution mindset that's driving us along right now in pretty much everything we do, including digital. That's great. Yeah. And I love how you listen to your customers as well. Although I will say some of the things that you mentioned, like longer cables, they sound to me like um, the faster horse part of the analogy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. These, these, were, these were the sort of short-term fixes that we were able to bring to bear. You know? And then, of course... <laughs> You know, sort of midterm, what we've been doing more recently is, is really figuring out how, for example, combinations of our technology can be used together in order to streamline workflow. And then, you know, we're working on and, and um, sort of heavily investing in a more streamlined flow of data from you know, one device to another. You know, one of the things I think about size generally in, in this ophthalmology space is we cover such a broad range of products. You know, everything from sort of diagnostics to sort of surgical tools, you know, refractive tools. And um, so we probably have a bigger opportunity than pretty much any other player to leverage the value of being in a connected environment um, and streamlining workflow in a very meaningful way. So that's that's our medium term. And then the long term are the things we've talked about, you know, this sort of connected cloud environment, but as a solution. Yeah, great. Um, I had a couple of questions for you, if you don't mind. Um, yeah. I, you know, when I was uh, looking at some of the things that you guys are interested in doing, and I was hoping that you could tell me a little bit more about digital twinning and AI um, image analysis and uh, 3D and 4D analysis. Can you kind of, um, I, I haven't heard those terms that much. Or <laughs> Can you tell me about them? Uh, yeah, you're asking a lot. Um, you know, let's 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 start maybe with the with with the low-hanging fruit in, in AI, and we can bring in some of those other concepts as well. Um, you know, when I look at AI, um, AI functions on on multiple levels, and I actually refer to them fairly routinely as sort of you know one D, two D, and three D sort of AI. And, and what I mean by those is, for example, um, if you have a single image and you want to bring out features in that image. 
um, that might be hard to spot um, or you just want to be certain um, that they're there, um, then our AI plays a, a sort of what I call a 1D role because it's in a one, one data set um, and you're using AI in, in one data set. Um, introducing 2D for me is, is where you then have combinations of images. And this could be the temporal um, changes in the image, um, or it could be between images. So if you want to you know, bring in two different types of image, and um, you can use AI sometimes to spot patterns that the human eye maybe not be able to see, because you're sort of combining the data sets, as opposed to look at, looking at them sequentially or going back and forth between one and the other, you can really look at the data sets digitally at the same time and, and sort of extract new insights. Or temporally, as I said, you know, look at changes from an image from, from, one, um, from one time period to the next, you know, monitoring a patient with, um, with DR as a, as a great example, looking for those small changes. That, that's, that to me is 2D because you've got, you know, sort of two data sets or multiple data sets you're using in sequence. And then when I think about sort of, in my mind, 3D, um, it's, it's really um, three-dimensional AI. It's really around uh, the other data sets that go outside of that image completely or the image data set completely. So this is where you might go into the electronic medical record system and look up for other disease patterns that might be there. Um, and you, you then start to say, well, I can use a medical image for monitoring cardiac disease, or I can use a medical image for monitoring or detecting um, sort of cognitive changes. And, um, but you need a completely different data set that's outside of the data set related to, to those images. So that's at least how I think okay. about artificial intelligence and, and how it will evolve and develop over time. That's a really good explanation. I love how you yeah. stack those. I mean, I totally get <laughs> it now. That, that's great. Yeah, yeah. Again, you, you were just thinking far ahead. Um, really, <laughs> we're trying, uh, Rania, <laughs> but it's <laughs> you know it's such a it's, it's exciting time, right? Because it's such a fast changing environment, and um, you know we 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 can think of ourselves as being ahead, but there's no way that anyone any of us can keep up with all the disruptive changes that are taking place <laughs> in the world today. We just have to you know do our best to monitor them and and sort of you know think laterally about how we'll harness them. Yeah. No, I think it's great. And, and, you know, you obviously have because you've also set up a Zeiss Innovation Hub. Isn't that right? Mm -hmm. Yes, the, the Zeiss Innovation Center here in, in the Bay Area where I'm, I'm speaking from today. This is a real showpiece, showpiece center for us. You know, we're, we're very proud of it. So it's a new building just opened um, in, in the Bay Area. Um, it is um, it contains um, some really, really nice facilities, a customer experience center. We have training areas, um, both for customers and for you know, our internal teams. Um, and it's staffed, of course, with um, the um, with great people from the local area. Um, so, you know, I, I've been in Silicon Valley now for 20 years um, and I'm firm believer in what you get from the Bay Area. But at the same time, I recognize it's not the only place you can do these things. There are other innovation hubs and there are other great places to be. Um, but for us generally, when we think about it, I mean, it's hard to imagine an environment where we wouldn't have some kind of presence in the Bay Area. Yeah, um, right. And you know, for us, we've decided that we will make it our headquarters for, um, for you know, Zeiss North America, for, um, for, for Meditech. Um, and, um, you know, we will use it as a way of driving innovation, bringing in academic collaborations and um, customer collaborations and just continuing to hire great teams as, as we do now. So you are very welcome to come visit, as I would say, oh, are any of our customers or collaborators. <laughs>
<laughs> I'm definitely taking you up on that. And uh, I would be very interested in Bascom Palmer doing a collaborative um, partnership with you too through the Innovation Hub. And might I suggest Miami as your next hub? <laughs> <laughs> you know, I could I could list it. I could list it. And I can tell you stories about, about Silicon Valley and, you know, why in the end, you know, it still retains some kind of unique disruptive um, character. Um, it's sort of a, you know, ecosystem is an overused word, but it's kind of a unique kind of ecosystem with academia and venture capital and, you know, sort of companies all in one place um, that just sort of fosters this kind of disruption. But it's not the only place I know that, you know, in the US, some other great centers, some great centers. Yeah. Well, let me ask you this from a, from a personal standpoint, let's say that you had a genie who granted you a wish and you could make any product you wanted, regardless of money, time, even if it took you 30 years or something, it doesn't matter. And $300 billion, what kind of, what kind of product would you make? What kind of product do you think is missing or that could fill a gap and that you would make ideally? Yeah, you know, that, that's a, that's a, uh, you put me on the spot with that one because it's hard to come <laughs> up with, a, with an answer. But you know, I, it, for me personally, I actually guess I don't have too many problems at least coming up with some kind of answer because I'd go back to what I talked about before. You know, I, I was fortunate enough to, um, you know, to have, um, sort of commercial and personal success building a, a robotics company here in the Bay Area. And um, at that point, when I decided to, to move on, I thought long and hard about where I felt the big changes would be in healthcare, um, because I really just wanted to be a contributor to those big changes in, in any way that I could. And I really decided at that point that it was the, the field of data science that was going to change things. And specifically in the space of you know, larger and more enhanced data sets um, around patients. Um, and these are the themes we've been discussing and talking about today. So if I had um, you know, sort of that, that amount of, of money to spend and, and the time to do this, to devote to it, I would go back to a lot of the things that we're trying to drive here. And it's why I came to Zeiss. Um, and it's why you know, we're driving, for me at least, I'm so passionate about driving the programs we're driving. If we can create an environment where um, we take a broader view of the data around patient management, that we bring in um, you know, long-term data, we, br we bring in millions of patients without expectations. So we're not driving clinical studies, but we're doing large-scale data collections that extend into lifestyle. Um, we can really start to, to un understand the disease cycles that take place. And we can really understand how to manage disease in a, a more holistic way. Um, and I, I think personally, I still believe that's where the big changes in, in healthcare will come. It's through these large scale collaborations, through large scale sharing of data, yes. um, through a broader view of, of what constitutes medical data, in this case, extending into lifestyle, activity, diet, sleep, stress, all these things that we know are influences, but we can't quantify today. Um, and then having the, you know, the time and the team to really um, you know, use machine learning to extract these insights, which I think will really move the needle on healthcare. That, that's my passion and that's what you know, I will always try to help drive as, as long as I can. Wow, well, you should just drop the mic there. That was the best, <laughs> that was, no, honestly, I, very sincerely, yeah. that was an incredible answer. I mean, that's like 
somebody telling you that you could have all the money in the world, what would you buy? And you would say, I'm what I exactly what I have now, I wouldn't change it, but I would just improve or optimize what I'm already doing. Um, that's a great idea. And I think exactly the same way you do. I mean, mm-hmm. the one thing that's really come out, I think of, of COVID is we have collaborated a lot more than we did before. And now you have right. all these institutions who never spoke before and were sort of competitive now sort of all collaborating um, on one common operating picture. And I just think there's nothing more powerful than that. I completely agree with you. Yeah, yeah. You know, when I, when I, I ran um, Accuray, the company that I, was, I sort of built here in, in the Bay Area, um, on the back of all of our business cards was this sort of tagline, our business begins with patience. Um, and I'd say that's really my personal philosophy that, you know, if you focus on doing the right thing for patients, um, ultimately, you know, good business will follow somehow. And sometimes we don't even know how it will, um, how it will, um, it will happen. And to me, that's really, uh, you know, my personal, and I believe it's an organization now, a North Star, and it explains why we behaved the way that we did during COVID. You know, what we were focused on in that time was not, you know, offering discounts to try and, you know, sell products, despite the fact all our customers were really, you know, suffering from, you know, cash flow problems and suffering in, in, in ways that, you know, we could only hear and listen to. Um, you know, we, we felt that by focusing on the things that would make our customers more successful, even when it result, even when at the thought process was, well, we need to give away a bunch of breast shields that even work on our competitive devices. That that was really doing <laughs> what I'm what I'm explaining to you or, or sort of telling you about, which is, yeah. you know, let's just focus on the right things. If you do the right things, and you and you keep focused on those things, then you know somehow business will follow from it. You know, there's there's never a bad a bad outcome from that. Once again, just um, honestly, just a very sincere uh, pleasure to speak with you. I mean, it is just so refreshing to hear from you and to talk with you. And um, I thank you so much for your time. And I'm so glad that OIS has brought us together again uh, this year to talk like this. So if they- well, thank if you, Rania, and thank you to OIS as well. It's, it's really been a pleasure to, uh, to talk. Thank you so much for, for inviting me. Yeah, well, thank you again. And thanks to everyone out there. They all really enjoyed you and Thompson and all your amazing insights just as much as I did. So thank you guys. <laughs> thanks, Rania. Thank you for listening. Ewan certainly makes it clear how digital technologies can be disruptive. For another look at potentially disruptive innovation, register now for the OIS European Innovation Showcase, Tuesday, July 20th at 12 o'clock p.m. Eastern Time. And come back next week to hear what's new on the OIS Podcast.